Welcome to episode 61 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined as usual by my co-hosts Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We occasionally do machining-related things, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Eddie, Chris, long time no chat. How are you guys doing? Hey, Winston, I'm doing great. And I would like to extend a big congratulations to Chris, who just got married. Congratulations, Chris. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I got I got married with uh, my best friend for over 10 years now. We've been going out, so it's long overdue in her eyes. Um, but yeah, we, we went to Mexico, uh, had the family and close friends in Tulum, uh, rented out a place, got everything set up over there. It was perfect. Um, everything worked out as planned. And couldn't have asked for better weather because the weather was a little spotty in the beginning because of hurricane stuff. But um, no, it, it worked out great. Uh, it was awesome ceremony and uh, lots of partying and lots of drinking after that. So it was a fun time. It was uh, nice to unwind and step away from my phone because internet was kind of spotty over there as well. Uh, we were kind of in the middle of nowhere in Tulum, uh, segregated oh, yes. from, from everything. So it was good to disconnect. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Was there a point at which you started missing the machines, though? Uh, you know, no, because right before I left uh, for the for, uh, the airport to the wedding, um, I had actually I, the second part of this news is <laughs> I got two other machines. I got a um, a DS thirty Y Live Tool Hoslathe, and then I, with the bar feeder, and then we got a VF four SS as well, and. We had just, the tech had just gotten out there to turn the lathe on and, and get it going. And tooling arrived like at 10 o'clock the day before my flight. And I basically went to the shop and I, I made my own wedding band on, out of that bar of titanium I had the night before. And luckily I was able to one shot this because I did not have time to like mess up and try again because I had to go pack. And this was like at nine o'clock at night or something. So uh, it was cutting a little close, but. Did you have a plan B if that failed? There's no plan B, Winston. It's just plan <laughs> A and make it work, basically. Um, no, I, I did not. And I was I was scared because I needed something, right? Because we, we had like a, a Mayan ceremony. Um, for those who are not familiar, it's like basically like the Aztec Mayans. They came out and like they blessed the rings. So I need to have the ring that I'm going to be wearing because it's, it gets blessed. Um, so... Yeah. So anyways, it worked out fine. The The ring was perfect. Uh, one shot it, got it packed, got on the plane, everything worked out great. So that's why I was okay because it was stressful <laughs> that one evening right before leaving. And then I had all the machine stress that I needed for that week. And uh, But now that I'm back and refreshed, recharged, I'm ready to get back on there and make more lathe parts. So that should be fun. You did the uh, ring on the lathe or on the UMC? On the lathe. Oh, wow. Yeah. First, uh, first part made on the machine first part made on the machine yeah i set nice. up the tooling that's a good omen <laughs> <laughs> i set up like literally the tools arrived like at 10 that day i set them up like at seven i had to i kind of forgot how to like pick off on like the, where the face it took me like in like 30 minutes to remember it's been a while and then just kind of like one shot it a lot of faith because i couldn't see anything the coolant was blowing everywhere so it, it just worked out and i babied everything and then was able to bust it out and ring came out really nice. Um, 
Because you know how that really should have gone. <laughs> yeah, I should have broken <laughs> its wall. Uh, I should have hit the set top. Set your titanium on fire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, you know, just I, I was expecting everything to go wrong. And I was mentally prepared to be like, well, I screwed up. I either need to go to the manual lathe and bust one out real quick or, you know, whatever. But it worked out. And I was so shocked because, like, the parts catcher came down, picked up the ring, spat it out. And I was looking. And I'm like, holy shit, I just one shot this. And I'm like, cool. Hey. Close the machine. I got to bounce, and I just left. And then my my buddy, you know, shut it down for me and stuff like that. But yeah, it was cool. And if it, because uh, I had made a prototype before on the on the uh, Pocket NC, long time ago. I, I don't know if you guys remember the post I did. So I had the ring sizing and everything set already. I knew exactly the diameter for my ring finger, and I didn't even have to do any like offset comp or wear comp or anything. I literally just. The same thing that I had programmed before, I just moved the live tool over from what I did on the Pocket NC, and it just worked. And boom, I slipped it on a fit crate, and I ran out of there uh, immediately because I was literally leaving in like six hours. So what's the um, plan for the new machines? Basically, we have a lot of stuff that we send out. Um, we have a lot of parts that we want to make, like these uh, clutch dampeners and just you know motorcycle stuff generally. And we have... Currently, they outsource a lot of these things to these other machinists, and now that we're, now that I've proven to them on the UMC like what I can do and like the things that we can make, they're starting to understand the possibilities and being able to bring everything in house. So we we went half on the lathe, and then they honestly I don't know what Haas is doing, but they just keep throwing us these massive discounts. Like, oh yeah, we don't we won't, we only wanted the lathe. We didn't even need the VF4. But basically, the deal that they give us was so good. It was basically paying for the lathe and getting a free VF4 almost. It was ridiculous. And we looked at each other and we're just like, F it, let's go. Like, bring it in, you know? Because the thing I like about the VF4 is they have the side windows. So, like, when we, if we need to do really long parts, we can ha- have them hang outside the window. And we can do, like, long, long extensions or things like that. So, um, And plus, a lot of the flat stuff that they want to do like the wheels i feel like are better suited on the vf4 so i can move that off of the umc onto there uh, and then keep the umc for more like positional things or like uh, prototyping r&d stuff like for the intake or whatever so i think we have a lot of stuff to make and now it's just like separating thing out to each machine and the lathe has the bar feeders so we want to want it um overnight and stuff because we have these clutch plate dampeners that we need to make like you know thousands of pieces and i think we we made a couple of prototypes already i i did a little programming on the airplane and then when i got uh i landed i sent them the thing they ran it looks good so now we're just figuring out the subsequent transfer so it can actually uh cleanly part it off do a quick uh, chamfer and then we should be able to run this all night and basically come in the morning with a bunch of parts there so that's what we're hoping for um, and also just just to have one of each machine because there are times I had the UMC and I was like I wish I had more XY travel I wish it was like a flat you know a flat table instead of having it on the vice or something like that so just being able to have a three axis a five axis and a live tool Y axis lathe is gives us the capability to do pretty much everything that we want to do plus any like future proofing for anything else we might need in the future so um yeah, and it's been uh, it's been crazy. Uh, we re- had to rearrange the shop, and like you know, it took me a couple of days to like sit there with the models and move things around and make sure everything fit, and we had room for everything. But um, I made this little cell where everything's facing each other, so I really like the setup. 
we have this we have this table in the center and I can basically just swivel around in a chair and go to every control panel within like, you know, 30 seconds or something. So um, I think we're done buying machines for now. and <laughs> This should be everything that we need. I can't think of anything else except for if we need uh, higher quality machines and we would get rid of one to get the next one. But I think as far as capability, this is probably all that we need. Um, so yeah, no, it's been it's been crazy. And I, I made a mention of this in the post and I was thinking back while I was doing my wedding vows, like everything that's been happening the last year or two for me. And this year has been really good, even though it's been really shitty for everyone else and generally as a whole. Um, you know, I got the new job at the aerospace. Uh, I got married. We got the UMC. We got the live tool. We got this. And I, I feel extremely grateful and, and happy that I'm able to be lucky this year. And I know a lot of people aren't, so I, I don't take that for granted at all. And um, yeah, so it, it's been it's been cool just reflecting on everything that's happening. And, um, you know, I, I think we talked about this before where I made, I made this like sheet of paper, or, like this board where I, I type in my goals the things that I've wanted to accomplish and I've, I've reached the end of my list. So now it's like, I need to redo this list for the next five years and, and, and keep going here. So um, I feel in the momentum pretty strong and everything. So looking forward to that, but that's pretty much it. I don't it. know how you top all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't maybe like put something in space or <laughs> I don't know, buy a turn. <laughs> The current- I'm guessing it's uh, have a kid. It's going to be coming up on that pretty soon. Yeah, I, I'm, and, and we talked about that. So, yeah, kid, kid is definitely coming in. I would say probably late next year, if anything. Um, we've we've been talking about it for a while and stuff. So now that everything's yeah. kind of settled in a sense, you know, everything's kind of stable for us at least. Then I think it's you know time to do that. But um, I told her like, First hey, apprentice. <laughs> I told her, hey. Uh, just because we have the kid doesn't mean, you know, I I hope it doesn't mean that I can't continue to do the things that I want to do. And uh, we talked about a way that we could arrange for me to basically continue doing the fun stuff that I want to do. So um, I, it's compromise, right? So we'll figure it out as it yeah. gets here. As long as you can keep buying new machines. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I honestly, what other machine? I we'd have to. I have as to long see. As making money. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the the late's about to make money to pay for itself. Ready, the UMC is almost there, and then the VF4 was so cheap, we're not really worried about it right now because it's, it's not it's not making a big dent in the pocket. So I we'll, we'll be okay. We have so much work on the other two machines and stuff. Um, yeah, and that that's just our own work. If we decide to turn op- open to like a job shop style to accept work, we have a lot of things that we could take on that I've been holding at bay right now because I want to get our stuff settled first before we start taking on other people's things. So, um, yeah. So yeah, we have, I have backup plans, you know, just in case something goes wrong. But like I said, I, I'm not worried. These machines came at such a great price. If anyone's looking, I mean, talk to your host, right, man. They were just, every time I tried to walk away, it just kept slashing until I couldn't walk away anymore. So, uh, this might be a good time to pick up on something. Yeah. I was looking, I checked, I think you guys know I looked at the uh, Haas CM1 pretty hard before I uh, pulled the trigger on the Neo. And I just kind of went back and looked at the price on that again, just kind of curious because I kept hearing that Haas was running running good deals. And uh, yeah, even that was like 33% off what it priced out last year. 
that's just like the website discount. Once you talk to an HFO, yeah. like they they wheel and deal even harder. Like when you're actually talking, it's yeah. it's crazy. So I I don't know. I I heard from other manufacturers that some people are having a tough time right now. Um, so I guess Haas's strategy is just to, you know, move units slash prices. Yeah, I mean, what I see on Instagram, I'm guessing they're moving a lot of machines right now. I see them everywhere, popping up everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, new machine day. You know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> two or three of those every day on Instagram, which is that's always a good uh, it's a good thing. So. Yeah, that means things are still moving along, um, and things yeah. are still kicking. I know at work at the day job, there's still we're still busy, and we still have a mixture of new work uh, with also contractor work, so that's keeping us afloat. So happy about that. How about you, Winston? You got uh, actually, I don't know if I if you mentioned it yet publicly. The snowflake. If not, we'll cut it out. Uh, no, that that's fair game. It's up okay. on Instagram. I just I don't have the completed snowflake done yet. So um, at work, I've been busy doing a lot of things, um, including just getting parts out, last minute fixes for the Nomad and the Shapeoko. Uh, so I haven't had a lot of time to like really push these machines and play around with them. So this past week was like kind of the the first time I could really. Um, dive into an absurd but just a good project to get a lot of machining time on these uh, new platforms. So about a couple months ago, we got a um, a large plate of aluminum, but it wasn't plate. It was a 12-inch a wide extruded bar that we were going to try and machine something off of. I ordered it off McMaster, hoping it would be a little flatter than it actually was. Turns out this thing was like uh, almost a millimeter uh, bowed um, in the middle. Potato chip. Uh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I ended up just clamping it up on the shape Oko, facing it flat. And then I had about a, a it started out half inch and it ended up at 0. 0.44 inches. Um, and so I just had a, a chunk of aluminum and I, I was, I asked the internet what I should make with this. Um, and I had a lot of absurd answers some of them was just machine it down to nothing which would be a long time <laughs> but that would be a great test of the shape oko um but there was someone responded snowflake and the idea of making something that was that's intrinsically very light out of a relatively heavy material in a giant obnoxious form uh, seemed to to actually be a great idea so um I got a little uh, snowflake vector put together, imported that into Fusion, um, fought Fusion uh, tooth and nail because if you extrude anything from an SVG with curves, like it, yeah, millions it of forms like points. a bajillion polygons. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was it, the cam process was actually slower than I expected. Um, and then I just I started machining on Friday. I got through about two two and a half hours of roughing. Um, with a quarter-inch single flute, and everything is great, actually. Um, I use the same speeds and feeds um, for an adaptive toolpath as the regular Shapeoko on the Pro, except I um, increased the depth of cut by like 30%, wow. and then when I started this cut, I accidentally had feed rate override at 200%, and it worked just fine. Um, so that was actually a, a really nice test um, to start out with. And then uh, on Monday, tomorrow, um, I'm going to run an eighth-inch tool to better define the snowflake features. And then I'm going to try a couple couple other little things like chamfering and whatnot. 
Um, but hopefully in the next couple days we'll have a, a nice carbide-themed snowflake to display. It's going to be about 11 and a half inches by like 8 inches wide. It's a hexagon shape. Um, so I think it'll be fun. Um, it's good. been a good experience so far. Um, but the, the Pro is... Um, it's getting to that point where you're starting to push the limits of a small palm router. Um, at some point, I, I really got to throw a VFD on this thing just to see what I can really do. Um, so overall, it's, uh, it's promising, but it's given me a, a taste of more power. And uh, I, I think I, uh, I want more power. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see where I this goes. It's guy, a slippery just slope. Just the guy to talk to. Uh, give Vince a call. <laughs> <laughs> I think he is one of the few people... Who, who really understands the the full spectrum of like hobby machines and desktop machines just because he's modded uh, existing machines so much uh, he's seen some higher end machines um, there there's a the step up like between the shapeoko to the shapeoko pro to some of the larger platforms out there like the four by eight machines there there are little steps up in rigidity, in cutting power, that I don't think you can really appreciate if you just start off on like a Haas VF2 or something. Uh, like Because you have to fight for every incremental gain yeah. in rigidity and cutting speed. And starting from the bottom gives you a much better appreciation for just how good you have it. So um, yeah, it's an interesting perspective, um, but I, I now have a thirst for uh, even even more power on this machine. Did you guys ship him or Saunders a pro early? Or? Uh, not yet. Okay. Um, I think he's at least going to get a nomad three at some point. Don't quote me on that Vince. Um, but we do want to get a machine out to him. Yeah. I'd be, I can't wait to see what he does. I mean, that. the the great news yeah, is your, your pro machine has that upgraded spindle carriage with the, the rails and everything. So it has the, the heft to hold something like a VFD or like a bigger spindle now. Yeah. The, the biggest thing, honestly, is just the fact that it stays level. Um, if you can take a cut, not have that spindle deflect, uh, go out of tram under a really heavy cut, um, it's, it's just, it's a lot more stable. Um, the original shape Oco with V wheels, it can, it's actually very accurate because it's low friction on those V wheels um, virtually zero backlash, uh, so it can position itself really well, really precisely. Uh, it's just that when you hit it really hard with aluminum, uh, you get a little bit of deflection, a little bit of spindle nod, which then changes how that cutter is engaging with material. You're biting into the sidewall a little more, and it's like it's kind of a negative feedback loop, right? Of if the cut goes a little wrong, it's going to put more stress on the machine, and it'll go a little more wrong. Um, here having those linear rails hold that spindle like perfectly vertical and not deviate at all just helps so much. Yeah. So I think you should do it. Uh, I, I second your notion of more power here. You should definitely put a PFD on there. That'd be pretty cool. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Just gotta, gotta get the boss to buy in on this and then, uh, Bob's your uncle. <laughs> you guys did, um, kind of redid the spindle mount right so it's easier to, to put on a 
Oh, like that's a spindle. small change, but it is so much better. <laughs> uh, so the original spindle mount, it bolted onto the Z carriage from behind. So you had to basically take the whole plate off the machine to loosen the spindle mount and then hopefully tram it. Um, when Luke came around with the HDZ and the, uh, the Z+, Plus, um, Luke had his HD mount which bolts in through the front. Um, but the, the clamping format, it was like a, there's a slit in that uh, circular mount, and that slit was on the, the right side of it. Um, so there are four screws that go in through the front to secure the mount to the Z plate. Um, but the two screws on the right also were the screws that compressed the spindle uh, or clamped it in that mount. So if you wanted to adjust the spindle tram, you'd have to undo all four screws, uh, but then also make sure the spindle didn't fall out of the mount when you uh, tried to adjust it. Now um, there's four mounting uh, holes through the front and then two that sort of come in through the side. There's a slit on the front of that mount. Um, and so that is what pinches on the spindle, but you can loosen those four screws without uh, dropping the spindle out of the mount, which it just, it makes so much sense. Yeah. It took us way too long to get here, but I'm glad we finally have it. Yeah, I um, I recently trammed the Neo, and I can definitely uh, testify to the wisdom of that design. That, the Neo kind of works the same way. The Z-plate, those bolts are separate from the, like the spindle, the bolts that hold the spindle. So actually, like Datron tells you, be careful, don't loosen these, right? Because <laughs> they're all right <laughs> next to each other. And, and uh, if you loosen those, then you got a much bigger tramming job ahead of you, right? So it's actually, yeah, it's pretty easy. If all you got to do is kind of move the spindle around a little bit. So how do you know where to mount that spindle? Is there like a vertical stop where you just slide the yeah, spindle so, up into it? So the way, like on the Neo, um, the so you've got the z carriage it's similar to the shape of going you know it's a flat plate and then there's two side plates that come out like facing you and those uh sandwich the spindle this the imt spindle it's actually it's hard to explain it actually has a mount has a four-sided flat face so it's not just a cylinder yeah it's a cylinder inside a, a bigger housing like that's all one unit um, from IMT, and then uh, there's uh, locating holes on the, the left and right side of that, um, and then there's dowels on the on the Neo on one of the plates, so that sets the Z height correctly. All you really have to deal with is kind of getting the spindle vertical, you know, uh, an X and Y, um, and that's just you know basically loosening some bolts, running an indicator, tapping it here and there, tightening it up, you know, do, iterating over that a few times. Um, with a good reference surface, like surface plate. So I did that um, doing some MCD face mill testing. And like to get the best results, you really have to have a good tram on the machine. It was worth learning. Mm. And I, definitely, I'll probably make that part of my regular, like at least annual maintenance that I'll do on the machine. So it was, it was pretty easy. I, and I could definitely do it fast, faster the second time. But it paid off too, because like, uh, I ran my first MCD... I have that 14 millimeter uh, Datron MCD face mill. It has like big old diamond on it. <laughs> it's like a, like about a two carat uh, monocrystalline <laughs> diamond on it. And uh, you know my normal facing mill on the Neo is uh, 14, same size, 14 millimeter two flute carbide, and that does a really like really nice job. Like 
I wouldn't have thought you could improve on that until I ran this thing. And this literally creates a, a mirror surface, like just like they said it does. <laughs> but uh, I've seen, you know, Datron's shown some demo videos of them doing it. And I've seen some other MCD stuff out on Instagram. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, I but figured there was a, there, a lot of work behind that. But actually, no, you just set up, you run it. And as long as your machine's like well tramped, it basically works. Like I was watching their video of the MCD tool and it was like they they just had like their logo uh, raised on a boss and they just took a pass yeah. on the top. I'm like, dude, that doesn't show anything. Like that's like stupid. The, honestly, your video should be like, hey, you want you want to know what MCDs are for? Like, this is what they're for. They make they make effing mirrors. Like here. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, like, actually, for like for signs, it would be great because I, I kind of like the idea of um, like I'm getting all kinds of ideas now that I've done the test and I can see what what it can do. But you know, since this particular tool is a face mill, you can only you know kind of limit in where you can run it, and it's big, so you can't like. Uh, can't kind of. I don't think I'd run it around contoured stuff, but um, big flat surface. It's safe to run. So, like I was thinking, like a sign with a high contrast back, like a either maybe powder coated or bead blasted um, with raised lettering, and then just do that final skim pass over the letters. So it really pop. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah, no, that would look cool. It's just whether how do you protect it like afterwards? That's always the hard. Yeah, exactly. That's that's harder than yeah. you making the mirror. Yeah, I want to actually like do a test piece and send it off and get it clear anodized and see what what that would look like, or even uh, like a colored anodized. Like a I red. don't know if that's good enough. Like Boeing has a spec where once they uh, finish a raw part, they they ask that it be anodized like within twenty four hours or something. You might start yes. losing that mirror Oxidize. shine if you don't have a local anodizing shop. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. So MCD was like. That was just a test. Uh, I've been testing with uh, Zeka PCD finishing tools, doing a little bit of R&D here for a couple of months. Finally got confidence with those tools to run them on my first production part. Last week I did a 10-hour finishing pass on a mold with the three of the Zeka tools, ball, small ball nose and um, flat floor finishing tool. You could reach down in the, the tight spaces in these, in these uh, molds I'm working on. And man, that finishes. You know, it's not it's not MCD mirror, but it's beautiful. It's like more like you know, you get that real rainbowy um, look at the diffraction pattern. Yeah, 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 it's like beautiful. It's much more practical finish than than MCD. Um, but I'm definitely like working on doing another one, uh, like full MCD finish. Like uh, my customers interested in seeing that. Like uh, I don't want to say give away too much, but. <laughs> They're, they're interested in experimenting with that because um, it might solve some problems for them. So, uh, or at least save some of the post-processing work that they're doing. So, uh, yeah, that will be coming up since I kind of source the right size tools that I need, MCD ball and, and smaller diameter floor finishing. So I'm talking to a couple of vendors now about that. And I think uh, hopefully in a month I'll have something to test. But, um, but yeah, the PCD no. stuff is amazing. I'm going to start using that all the time like it's my final finishing does such a good job and the, like the other thing is um i don't know much about mcd like the small mcd tools how fast i can run them but these pcd tools i, I was basically I mean, even the the vendors recommended speeds and feeds are pretty close to what i would run like daytron carbide tooling at uh, a little bit slower on the feed but rpm range is you know 30 to 38k uh, for some of those tools so it doesn't really cost me a lot of time to switch over to 
PCB versus say a two millimeter carbide ball. And uh, the nice thing about the tool though is like even after that 10 hour run, the very last feature was as like, good looking as the first one. You know, carbide over time, you can kind of like, I can see on a long run, especially like a 10 to 20 hour finishing pass, I can kind of see the tool degrading over time. Not enough to have to switch it out, but you can tell, right? It's kind of wearing, it's rubbing, especially on finishing, you know, such a small amount of material to remove, but like the PCD stuff just lasts forever. So like that, that alone makes me like want to switch over to, um, when I have this kind of finishing to do. So I'm sorry. I think I interrupted you, Winston. Oh, no, I was just going to, I was actually going to ask about like where you're pulling your speeds and feeds from, but manufacturer probably makes sense. Yes. Uh, secondary question is, uh, on a scale from one to 10, how paranoid are you about just even touching these finished surfaces? Cause that MCD finish, it seems like if you touch it or you look at it wrong, you're going to get a scratch <laughs> in it and you're not going to be able to look away. Yeah. Yeah, Marvin sent me a, I don't know if he wants me to share it, but he sent me a pretty good uh, recipe for post-processing cleaning up of the, like an MCD pass. And it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm not going that far, but, um, but yeah, I actually tested. So I did a smaller piece. Uh, the piece I showed on Instagram, the plate that was uh, 6061, that was like perfect mirror. I, I don't think I, you know, I don't know what improvement I could make on that finish. Um, but the main goal was to really see how that tool performed in, uh, uh, how the MCD tool performed in mix six cast aluminum. And so I ran out a smaller test yesterday. I haven't shown it, but, uh, I would say, you know, definitely can tell the difference. It's, it gives you a mirror finish, but it's a little cloudier. So that's, you know, obviously that's probably due to grain size and the materials just being a little bit different. Right. Um, I really kind of wish I had some way to measure the surface roughness on these, but, um, but yeah, so like on a smaller mix six piece, it was kind of a sacrificial test anyway. So I, I didn't touch the big piece, but this one I've been kind of messing around with seeing how easy it scratches. And it's like just touching it with your fingers, <laughs> it scratches it definitely like wiping it with a microfiber cloth actually makes it worse. Yep. Yeah. So it's definitely not, I wouldn't call that a practical finish uh, unless you have some way of, you know, after machining it to protect it. So, uh, I don't know, like how do they do that in molds. Like, uh, of course that's usually steel, right? But they, they yeah. polish them to that kind of level what do they do to protect those Just well they're i mean they're it's different though because it's not as soft as aluminum like you're talking about like oh, hardened okay. hardened steel pieces yeah. and stuff like that so it it's still protected uh, but we don't need to worry about it as much like you milling a piece of 6061 a piece of dust gets in there and the tile goes over it, it scratches but the steel is yeah, a little bit more okay. more resistant to that Maybe kind of abrasion gotcha but yeah it's fun <laughs> it's definitely a fun tool to play around with and uh, I'll come up with some good ideas to you know, can can you cut that can show not only on the floor of the tool but the sidewall at the same time or is it one or the other? So it it has um, like the flute has a little bit of a corner radius to it. I'd say it's probably either point three or point five millimeter corner radius. No, I don't, actually, I don't know if we could take any side load. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not going to. I won't I don't, No, no, yeah. No. <laughs> My guess was that you're not supposed to. It, it wouldn't make sense yeah. if you need all that rigidity and all of a sudden you're trying to put two loads from two two sides or whatever. But I, 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 yeah. if I had to guess, it's just one side. It's meant for one thing only, right? Either the floor or the wall. Yeah, it's definitely a face uh, face mill yeah. tool. That one. Yeah. yeah. So I'll have other tools. Like I'll have um, PH Horn makes, um, or P Horn. Is that how you say it? P Horn? P dot Horn. Out of Germany, they make um, 
four finishing. Actually, have three lines. They have a you know, basically just something to. I wouldn't call it facing mill. It's like a normal end mill as far as the shape. Like say a three millimeter flat. What I call a three millimeter flat, and it's ground to finish floors, right? So also not not side cutting at all. And then they they have a contour, uh, straight contour tool that's basically a side cutting, like for finishing straight side walls. Um, and then they have, uh, you know, ball nose and a bunch of stuff for dealing with drafted walls. So I plan on basically getting all one of each of those, um, and giving them a test here. So I think that would be kind of neat to be able to actually reach some of the contoured features with the MCD be more interesting, right. Than just doing a facing pass. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, watching your example with the MCD tooling, it makes me even more impressed that the guys like Dr. Lizzie can do it with that Mitsubishi fly cutter. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, is that, it, is that a PCD cutter tool? No, it's not. It's just a regular Mitsubishi. Yeah, it's a JP insert, which is just a regular Lunum insert. It's a polished ground edge, uh, but yeah. it's just, that's it. You know, and all he does is he double sides tape pieces of plate onto an acrylic uh, table and he just runs it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the reason, you know, the main thing that makes MCD work so well is the degree to which you can sharpen the edge, right? You can get a really sharp edge on a diamond crystal. Um, you know, there may be, maybe they can get pretty close to that with some of the synthetic materials, centered materials, like inserts. Yeah. If you, if you can get that really good edge, you'll get that that finish you're pretty close to it yeah i ended up buying a two inch fly cutter from mitsubishi because i have suspicions that the three inch might be too big for the umc uh, so yeah. i'm going to move the three inch to the vf4 and then do, uh, put the two inch into the umc i think I'm, I'm assuming it'll give a better finish i tried it at work on the Dison and it was a way better uh, uh, finish than it was that i got on the three inch fly cutter so maybe cat 40 three inches a little bit too much. I think two inch might be the sweet spot for the Cat Forty. What's on the uh, VF4 spindle? Cat Fifty? Uh, no, it's Cat Forty as well, I believe. Okay. Yeah, but it's, but it's just like you know, uh, it's just a big flat solid table versus a UMC kind of rotating base. I, oh, right. I figure there's a little bit yeah, more rigidity if I'm just going in a two axis, like left right type thing. The Daytron sells a twenty millimeter. <laughs> Uh, diamond, like I think it would work in the needle. The nice thing about I went with the fourteen because it actually it, it works in the tool changer fits in there. That's the biggest you can fit in the mm. Daytron. I mean the um, Neo tool changer, fourteen millimeter diameter tool. So I tested that out, ran it yesterday um, from the tool changer. It looks great. Probably just leave it in there. Nice. Yeah, I don't know how often I'll use it, but uh, like I said, it's a. Uh, <laughs> Something special, you know, for, we, I think for signs really is where I see it or that type of stuff where you're trying to bring out a matte and shiny background mm -hmm. or matte background and shiny uh, highlight. I mean, that mirror finish, if you can protect it on the way to anodize would look amazing. Yeah. Right. Because usually people hand polish to mirror and then like wrap it up and bring it over there. But like if you can machine it like that and. The only thing is like you taking out the machine and getting to the anodized process after they've cleaned it and everything, it's going to get scratched or something's going to get in there. And so, so it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's going to take the other thing. It's like, I guess you'd want to skip the etch step, right? Before anodizing, just go right to, right to the tank. 
I I know I'm not familiar. I, I know there's a bunch of pre-processed stuff. So you're right. Like because it comes at a mirror, I don't know if they even need to clean it as much or, or that pre-post the pre-stuff. Well, it's it's mirrored, and it's also been blasted with ethanol. <laughs> right. So I think it's as clean as that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, Eddie, I almost say you should maybe look into doing your own anodizing if the part's small enough. Yeah, trying it out for test. You know, I'm assuming it would get a little cloudy with the anodizing, but. Um, but actually with like a color anodizer, I've seen that finish like on some, uh, like the part I always think of is there was this like a mountain bike hub that was a really cool kind of neon or like candy blue, like turquoise color. And it was like, you could tell aluminum underneath was super shiny to get that oh, yeah. kind of bright look that it had. I can show you a picture of my paintball gun because I had it hand polished okay. to mirror finish before we took it to anodize. And it, there's definitely a difference between that and the, the non-polish. Like it doesn't have that nice little sheen in the sunlight yeah. when it hits it just exactly. right. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I think of like normal anodizing, you know, the matte anodizing is like what you see on a yeah. silver apple uh, Mac or yeah. Although the yeah. counter to that is the the non-polished surface that I anodized that the other paintball gun, I took a little bit of mother's polish in about 30 seconds and it kind of brought out the sheen to match the one that was mirrored. So the argument can be made oh. that it's really not worth the trouble to to do the mirror up front. You can mother's polish the anodize uh, and to bring good. that out. <laughs> But I think there's not an unlimited amount of polishing you can do over time. But I don't think anyone would ever polish that much to the point where it would rub off the anodize. So, yeah, stuff's pretty tough. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, like 15 seconds of rubbing brought out the sheen. So it's definitely an alternative. So like one one um, like other little shop improvement I made. Um, I'm just putting this out there in case other folks just it didn't like the thought didn't occur to them. <laughs> so I've been you know. It's, as I've been doing some of the commercial work, the the models I've been dealing with in Fusion are becoming like much more complex and uh, larger, right? Much more resource intensive. So I I have a pretty fast like workstation here. I have a Mac Pro 2013 Mac Pro with 12 cores and 32 gigs of RAM. And that's always been like I've never never had like the machine be the bottle bottleneck on uh, in Fusion uh, until recently, like. Finally, I, you know, Fusion was kind of getting slower and slower as I uh, was dealing with these larger, larger, uh, kind of almost full table Neo sized work. And uh, so finally, it's like, well, yeah, might as well try going up to 64 gigs. It's cheap these days. And man, it's like Fusion's like a whole new thing <laughs> since I upgraded. So very responsive. Like a lot of the crashes I was getting, um, those must have been memory related because I don't get them anymore. Uh, it's still slow on, you know, there's still certain single-threaded operations in Fusion that are pretty slow, but, like, the UI's responsiveness is much faster. Mm. Um, yeah, cam generation is still slow. That's probably, uh, especially when I'm dealing with, like, a lot of pattern cam. But everything else is, like, it was worth the It was probably the best $100 I spent <laughs> in a year. So, uh, you know, I was already kind of thinking about getting a new machine, but, like, a new workstation. But this thing's humming along now. So yeah, always keep an eye keep an eye on that. How much memory for using choosing if you're getting bad bad performance out of it. I mean, I only run computers with 64, you know, of RAM, and like you said, even with that, I still have the same kind of slowdowns that you do. 
in the cam generation yeah. or in other things like that. I think it's all relative. Like once you get that boost, it feels great, and then you get used to it, and then then the next thing that slows down, you start to feel it even more or so. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of disappointed that uh, like toolpath generation didn't really it didn't impact that at all because I, I think that's more. Um, like actually, I found I'll put the link up on the show notes because I think it's been out for a while. But Autodesk actually put out a pretty good little article or blog post on um, uh, like how to get better performance during cam generation, and like there's certain uh, toolpaths that are pretty well optimized to use multi cores, and some that aren't. Right? Um, I didn't realize that. Like I actually didn't know any of them were multi core, but. Uh, like adaptive clearing is one of the worst as far as generation time because it's it's single processor, um, and also you know the comp it's computation complex. To, that's on top of that, right? So it's mm -hmm. kind of two things going against it. Um, in the end, you know the toolpath that you run on your machine might be superior to like another strategy, but if your main issue is like uh, the time is taking infusion, then like look at pockets, kind of what they suggested. Because um, Pocket's actually pretty simple to generate the toolpath and uh, and it's multi-thread support. And it also can do, uh, unless you have REST on, like it can run a bunch of Pocket generations in parallel. So like if you have like three or four Pocket Ops, um, they can they can basically finish in the same time. So I, I actually started taking advantage of some of the stuff I read in there and it's, it's speeding, it's helping me <laughs> in some of the areas where I was uh, really struggling with the cam time or cam generation times. Um, yeah, some of the, these moles still, like, I'll start the generation when I go to bed and wake up in the morning and still generate with some of the stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, that's pretty, you probably deal with that at work with some of the bigger stuff you guys do. Uh, honestly, with Mastercam, I don't have that issue. Cam generation is oh, okay. really fast in Mastercam. That's the only thing yeah. that I like about uh, Mastercam over Fusion is whatever the way it's processing the adaptive or dynamic toolpaths that it does. It does not take as much time, even if I were to do a uh, 5,000 step over, 5,000 step down. It, it, it takes a fraction of the time Fusion takes. And I don't know what it is that's different. I, I don't know what's yeah. behind the software on that, but it, it's just different in that way. Yeah, it's definitely a different cam kernel. That probably makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I you know, get my head around is I, I use way too tight tolerance. I, way too fine a tolerance on most of my cam ops. Like I'm starting to bring that up in order of magnitude um, with basically no degradation in the final part tolerance, um, <laughs> but much, much better cam generation time and much smaller tool baths. So um, yeah, for some reason, like when I was doing the hobby machines, I always said it like 0 0.001 millimeter. It was like my oh. tolerance for most mm. of my finishing ops, which is, I don't know where I got that idea. That was like I actually said it as my default, so I hadn't really thought about it for a long time. But uh, but that's like ridiculous. So and, and you know, in smaller parts, I wasn't really paying much of a price for that. Like you know, something going on in the Bantam machine, just you know, the the amount of real estate it was processing was small. But now, mm -hmm. like on you know, twenty inch stuff, yeah. twenty byte, yeah, starting, <laughs> starting to add up. So uh, yeah, so that's I've just kind of slowly optimizing that the stuff that's slowing me down and uh but the article's a big help on kind of figuring out some of that i'll i'll put the link in show notes for that yeah. and uh like i said if you you know uh, so like what i noticed was um 
once I did the RAM upgrade, like I went back and opened the model that I was having the most problem with and it immediately grabbed, you know, I only had 32 megs before, right? And it actually grabbed like 41 megs <laughs> it opened. So it's like, yeah, I definitely was starving it from memory. It was doing a lot of swapping. So, I, um, yeah, I, I'm excited because right now what's in November, uh, without getting too much into the techies part of the world of the PC stuff, but there's some really exciting things happening in AMD's single threading processor. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm really looking forward to testing that new Ryzen 9 5950X, which is like, yeah. I think it's like 16 core with, a, it basically blew Intel out of the water as far as Intel um, single threaded processing. So yeah, I'm Apple's looking forward to the, that. You know, they're bringing the ARM line, ARM processors to the desktop and workstation or sorry desktop and lap, laptop mac products so um i think you know the first machines out of the gate are kind of the lower end performance but they're still faster than their intel equivalent um and i think that you know once they do something like the macbook you know the big macbook or macbook pro i guess what i'm trying to say the big yeah, the other pro machines um i think those are gonna be really really fast and i hope that like app uh, autodesk is going to continue to support Mac as a platform with that process, you know, processor changes are kind of tricky, right? Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully they're, you know, that's not impacting their roadmap. They're going to continue to be, uh, uh, have an Apple offering for Fusion 360. I'm sure they would, but, um, cause I think it'll be really, really fast. It's going to be fast processors. In the near term, it's probably not a big deal, um, because Apple's going to have that universal binary. So they don't really need to change anything for it to run on those processors. Well, it's good. that would be uh, under, past... under emulation. I don't know how fast it would be. Like, I want native. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want... Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean, they've shown games running uh, through their, their that translation. Rosetta. Rosetta 2. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest question for me right now is the current M1 chips only look like they can be spec'd up to 16 gigs of RAM. So... I'm curious what they do to sort of unleash it for the uh, the more professional lineup of their computers. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to be that'll be a much more capable processor. Like I I, I don't know I don't want to call it the second gen, but whatever they have planned for like the the more pro end of the product line is going to be. I think that's going to be a monster of the chip. So we shall see. Uh, <laughs> my, my old Mac uh, laptop, the MacBook Pro, I. I don't know. I had so many problems with Fusion, but that was like a year and a half ago. Um, and just like the interface is different. I guess it's because Apple is very strict about their stuff or whatever, but it really just, I, I couldn't stand it and I, I couldn't I couldn't stick with it. So I ended up get, giving it up to get a Windows laptop. But um, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Like when you go to post, yes. it's, <laughs> I'm like, what is this? Yeah, this this looks nothing like my desktop. <laughs> like, wh where is everything? Where's all the options? So I was just kind of like turned off by the whole aspect of it. I don't know if that's still the same or that changed. Yeah, I'd say it's, especially yeah, last year, it was, I don't know how it was on the Windows, but it was, there were some stability issues, at least in the Apple version. Yeah. Um, it's gotten better the yeah. last few updates. Uh, I think like the update before last was kind of questionable. I don't know, Winston, you had some problems, but there was an update, uh, I think two updates since then, pretty quickly, like in the last four weeks. Um, and my, my, my machine's gotten much, much more stable since then, but I also did the RAM upgrade, so I could been. It's hard to say what was the contributor there, but um, as of like, it's improved. Yeah, 
but there are still some lingering bugs. Yeah, like um, the big ones, I was getting a lot of crashes when they first rolled out the new tool library. Like that was very unstable. Um, and that's much, much better now. Like I don't have those issues with the just crashing when you click around in the UI. Um, yeah, most, I think most of my crashes usually during like a long, either long op generation, cam generation, and it basically just gives up the ghost and panics or uh, not panics, but uh, crashes. Uh, and then I still have a couple that are probably OpenGL related or UI. Like if you moving things around and you kind of click on a user interface element like, and click away from it real quick, I still get occasional crashes. So I always report those. Um, but yeah, it's like, I would say like last three weeks have been really stable. We'll see what happens after the next update. Do you still notice like sometimes you're waving your mouse over the uh, the sidebar and your cursor just picks up a yeah. toolpath and doesn't yeah. let go? Yeah, that happened oh. today. So I still have that bug. I don't know if that's Mac only. Probably is. I think there's some an OpenGL issue there. Um, they're hopefully going to nail pretty soon. I don't know, but I, I made a forum post about it. And uh, I don't know if it's gained any traction, but it's... It's uh, it's really annoying. Yeah, it's like most of the times it's just like a ghost. It's not actually like I don't know if you know. It's like you don't actually have the toolpath. Like if you moved around, it doesn't reposition. But I had one time where it did actually reposition it. Like it was actually sticking to the mouse cursor, and when I moved that, it dropped that toolpath somewhere else. And it could have you know just happened once, so it could have been maybe I did something wrong. Um, but it was that same kind of issue i remember because like i couldn't get the like, it's almost like your cursor changes to the toolpath right to the net label of the toolpath yeah it just follows the cursor around everywhere all over the screen um yeah that is kind of annoying you have to click inside somewhere within the sidebar um like in the toolpath list to get it to drop yeah. the problem that i have is that you can't really see which toolpath you initially picked up so I don't know if I'm clicking within that sidebar, if I'm dropping it in the same spot, <laughs> unless I take the time to read the toolpath name yeah. and figure out, all right, pocket number three, match that up. Because if you don't, like you might put your roughing toolpath like after a finishing toolpath. Yeah, so is it moving on you? That's what I was going to ask you. Is it actually... It, it will on? drop it in a different location okay. Okay. if I don't click within like a couple pixels of where it was picked up. Yeah, yeah, I think that is what happened to me. That That's a bad bug. Like because of that, because you can definitely crash the machine, right? Run an operation yeah. out of order. Um, yeah, fortunately, I saw it in simulation before uh, it actually ran on the machine. So that would have been bad, especially since it wasn't my machine <laughs> that I was programming for. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm glad you reported that one. It, it doesn't generate a crash, so I haven't like actually. I didn't take the effort to actually go on the website and open a bug ticket for it. It wouldn't like a, like a crash yeah, is kind of I mean, automated. You can just say yes, send it, submit it. But. I've complained long enough on Instagram and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't. So I figured it's, it's time that I just, if this is really bugging me and it doesn't look like they're fixing it, I have to make like a, a report or a forum post or something because yeah. otherwise it's going to get lost in the ether and maybe one day it'll get fixed, which some problems have. But at this point, I'm paying for this product, and I really want to push them to make it better or work the way it should. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, they've been very responsive, I think, to, to getting user bugs, user reported bugs fixed. I'd say half the updates yeah. are 
uh, have you know half the work of them is bug fixes and, and enhance, uh, user suggested enhancements. So it's actually you know, you, I usually don't think of big software companies as being responsive to like end users, but they really are. Not not at their speed. I mean, I'm getting I'm being forced to update like almost every week. It feels like and it, yeah. it's annoyingly uh, nice. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like I love that they're updating it, but it's like, oh my god, I gotta update yeah. again. Like, um, but it's it's a good kind of annoying update. So, yeah. um, and I really appreciate that they are so transparent and detailed about what they change in every release. Like, like one of the things I hate, and this is kind of you know, more on the app, like phone app stuff, is I hate like the apps are just every release is this we we update it. You know, we updated some things for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's like no. Tell me what exactly. Oh, uh, we we updated the user software. experience. It's like what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what does that mean? And every single release says the same thing. It's like no clue. <laughs> but yeah, Autodesk always tells you like, um, yeah, and it's usually there's always something like some new feature in there too, which is a plus. Like it's not always just bug fixes, but you get something for that download uh, effort. They actually do a really good job of sharing like what's new. Um, as coming like as someone who's supposed to make content for new machines and stuff, um, I can tell Autodesk is putting in a lot of effort to highlight like the new changes. They've got videos showing how yes. like the new features they added work. So I will give them props on that front. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's doing it better. That's definitely the gold standard. By my, you know, that keeps me very happy, <laughs> especially for a, a product as complex as you know, CAD CAM system. That stuff's gold. So I was going to ask you, um, so we talked a little bit about the, the new carbide machines. You guys are, uh, this guy to be ready to be shipping out pretty soon, right? Showing up out in the yeah. field? Um, by the time this podcast goes live, we should have Shapeoko's either out the door already or leaving that week. Oh, man. Um, so it's, it's maybe about a week behind schedule. Um, we had a, a a vendor issue with the packaging um there we try and use local vendors when we can and they're in california and they were uh slowed down by the wildfires we had oh, yeah. um so the machines are like ready we just need to put them in boxes and get them out the door uh nomad will have been shipping for a week by the time this episode goes up um it's it's been a long time coming uh, i remember back when we first announced the nomad we were thinking oh it'll ship by like somewhere between april and june and then july came and then august came and then september came <laughs> uh, we're, we're finally here um yeah. i can finally like stop engineering and fixing machines and doing prototyping and development and actually start using them um so it, it feels good and uh hopefully this slow return to normalcy for me of of making videos instead of uh, making machines, which is still kind of fun and really rewarding. Um, it'll it'll be a part of a larger shift to normalcy, hopefully. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Six months before uh, we, we can start loosening up travel restrictions again? Oh, yeah. That's a pretty positive outlook there. Uh, I, I don't... I, I honestly, like, think that, you know, us deciding to do an out-of-the-country wedding was was difficult for me because... I didn't feel safe in the beginning, but at this point, and from what I've seen and how everything's going, 
I don't think COVID is something that's just going to go away. I think this is just something we're going to have to learn to live with. And I think that's part of it is learning to wear masks to protect others and doing better hygiene and washing hands and things like that. Being more aware of, you know, what you touch before you touch your face or the things that you own, like your steering wheel or doorknobs. I think it's just a more, a better understanding of how to live with this kind of stuff as opposed to thinking it's going to go away anytime soon. Cause I don't think, I don't think unless there's a drastic change in the way that we are handling the situation, drastic as in like, uh, from vaccine. um, Well, even with the vaccine, then you have people who don't take vaccines. Right. So there's this whole issue with that. But honestly, if there isn't like a incredibly drastic push for like, like I said, in the first podcast, we talked about this, which was, if we just took a two-week like lockdown, the entire country, we would come out of it probably clear. All we need is one like combined effort and to make sure that everyone is locked in and clear. And then after that, test. And then anyone who's positive stays home. Anyone who's not goes to work. We sh- I honestly think that would just end this whole thing. And I think uh, some of these other countries that have done those drastic things... Uh, has worked and it's proven that theory to be correct, you know? So, but the problem is it's a very difficult thing to push. So I don't know what's going to happen. So I've just, I've just accepted the fact that this is something we need to learn to live with. Everyone needs to wear masks, wash your hands, be safe, that kind of thing. Um, when I got back from my trip, I got a COVID test and I'm, I'm negative as well. And I went on an airplane twice. Right. And also into different countries. So I was probably at the most risk uh, being at the airport and things like that. But, you know, my mask never came off. I never touched my face. I didn't eat or drink on the plane. I didn't even use the restroom. I made sure I used the restroom before I got on. And as soon as I got on, that thing never came off. So I, I was like extreme precaution as far as like when I got on the plane and off the plane. But honestly, I felt safer on the plane because they enforce you to wear a mask now. Like you can't just be on the plane and not wear the mask. Everyone has to have a mask. It's mandatory. So uh, that along with the the micron HEPA filtration filters that they have in there that cycling air every few minutes, it it seems okay. I didn't feel unsafe or anything like that. Everyone is following the rules on our flight at least. So, um, yeah, sorry. That was a long winded answer. (laughs) And honestly, I think, uh, it's probably safer to be in Mexico than it is to be in the U S like, honestly, when I was over there, I honestly felt safer. They're like, I would touch the table, and as soon as I left, there's a guy there squirting it and wiping it down with, you know, antiseptic stuff or whatever. It was, they're so strict on that because they know that their tourism depends on the the appearance of safety. So they're like hardcore cleaning every sort. Like you, you, you basically are just dudes everywhere cleaning stuff all the time. Like everything is being wiped down the second it's being touched by somebody. Everyone's. I mean, it's probably uh, it's probably like a strong, effective antiseptic, not like what you can get in California, right? Yeah, it's like it's it's potent, you know, (laughs) industrial. Yeah, so it was, and everyone on the street uh, is wearing masks. The only time it got a little weird was when we went to the beaches. Um, uh, Obviously, when you're at a beach, right, you you don't want to wear a mask. So, but everyone kept their distance. I I was never near anybody on the beach. Um, we were lucky enough to have, we rented a place that was on the beach coast. So like we had this own little section of it that was private for us. So we really didn't have too much contact with anybody. So that that's how I felt the best about that. And um, yeah, everyone, no one got sick. And that was my biggest worry of the whole thing was somebody was going to get sick on the trip and I would feel responsible for it. But uh, everyone's home and nobody had symptoms. Everyone's okay. So yeah. worked out good. So that luck with the ring just kept getting better and better. Oh, it was scary. Like, the rain was bad. Like 
in in well, I guess it's normal in Tulum in, in Cancun. It's like no, the the ring. Oh know, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. No, that that worked <laughs> out great, and um, I really liked how that turned out, and it was cool. And they got blessed by Mayans, so I got that's the ring for life. So. So, I, I think uh, as machinists, we also have a, a much better sense of uh, hygiene and hand washing yes. because <laughs> in doing all this prototyping, um, you know how people say like, oh, like if, if you want to wash your hands, pretend you have hot sauce on them. Like, so like, you know, like don't touch your eyes before you go to the bathroom, uh, like wash your hands all the time. Uh, fine aluminum chips, <laughs> I would say is worse than hot sauce. Yeah. Like, cause that stuff will stick to yeah, anything yeah. and oily coolant like i can't stand to have that on my hands like any kind of oily like that's one of the reasons i, I like the neo you know the alcohol bath perfect <laughs> you know good astringent yeah. yeah but like uh i like uh you know john no actually he doesn't run i was trying to think uh grimso runs oil in his current he runs it in his um swiss machine like that's the, yeah the tornos <laughs> yeah i know it's like really good for cutting but it's really bad for people <laughs> to have from a <laughs> aesthetic you know point of view i'm sure it's uh, some people just get used to it the oil life as uh, danny rudolph would say <laughs> yeah i've been touching a lot of linear rails lately so that also uh you know what actually made me be more conscious about cleaning myself and my clothes is my dog because like she licks and like smells me and stuff so i got paranoid that like Cause I get stuff on me all the time, like coolant chips, like, you know, and, and bringing now I'm oh, more yeah. conscious about bringing that home. Cause she's always trying to like, you know, eat something that's on me or something. So that, that kind of kept me more aware of what's going on and making sure that my jeans and stuff don't have stuff on them. Well guys, it's glad to have you back uh, safe home. Winston, I mean, uh, Chris, sorry. And Winston, I think you guys uh, at Carbide are making a lot of very happy uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays this year. With the new machines. I, I hope so. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, I think uh, anything else before we wrap it up? Nope. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Yeah, I think that's good, guys. All right, good night, guys. All right. Until next See time. See you later.